Welcome to the Cultured Magazine podcast, Points of View, bringing you intimate interviews with creative leaders reflecting on their personal journeys and their visions for the future. I'm your host, Sienna Fiquette. Today, I'm speaking with Paloma Elsesser, a model, creator, advocate, and entrepreneur extraordinaire. I'm happy to call you a friend, and it's been such a joy watching you on your prolific journey. Today, I'd like to get into that journey and into the essence of the origins of how it all began. Origin stories are one of the most rooted and interesting things to me, so I'd like to get into yours, especially as you have such a unique 21st century journey. Your story illuminates the power of digital platforms in democratizing and breaking open representation. Let's start off by just hearing a little bit about your journey and how you got started in the modeling industry. Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for inviting me on this. Like, um, my literally, you're my number one like crush of life, energy, beauty. You're so special. So it's such a gift and an honor to do this with you. And obviously, culture is cool, and I'm appreciating like the platform for us to talk. I've been asked this question a million times, but um, I think this is, gives us an opportunity to also get very honest. And because I feel like historically I've been asked the question and it's like, I've even feel like I've had to like punctuate so much of my journey by like terrible things and then good things. And um, I think that that doesn't really, really cater to like the arc of how we evolve. So um, I guess I'll just start more with, because I think that modeling is so much more informed with like my history and like why I've kind of been able to like enact some kind of like change or different or just essentially what like lends to my success, quote unquote. But um, yeah, like we both share that we like both grew up in LA and I grew up, I grew up like hippie for. So I guess growing up, I thought that was very isolated in that experience. And as I've grown and evolved and shared my story with people and friendships, I've learned that it's like not as rare as I thought it was. Um, my mom is African-American and my dad is Chilean and Swiss. My dad grew up in the UK. He left Chile uh, during the coup. And like they fled during the coup with Pinochet. And so my dad grew up in London, kind of like making music, like also occupying like different nuances of identity and stuff. There wasn't really a huge like Latin American community in the UK. But, um, you know, there's Spanish people, but I think in reference to South America, my dad was isolated and I think that it like kind of forced him to kind of seek community and identity through, you know, I think he was like really, um, uh, I guess like inspired, like adopted by like um, a Jamaican community that grew up in South London. Um, you know, my dad is a musician and thinker, is a musician and a thinker. And my mom grew up in LA and she like two very like hardworking, like black, like got it out the mud grandparents. Um, both my grandparents from Tennessee. But yeah, my mom always was like super educated, went to Wellesley, studied English, was an English teacher at Dorsey, and these kinds of ways, but not but, but was simultaneously also like dancing and singing and writing and practicing Buddhism. So there was a lot of like different aspects of home life that were like kind of didn't feel entirely congruent growing up, which I think 
has informed my informs my work today. Um, so with that, like both of my parents, even though it's like I grew up doing like capoeira instead of basketball class, <laughs> but, like, you know, we didn't grow up. I didn't grow up with any money and not to say that I felt starved or I felt poor in theory. I didn't think I felt that way at home, but I definitely felt lacking financially in reference to kind of like my my peers in the schools I was going to. My mom has always prioritized education. So kind of what was provided was being a scholarship kid, like going to predominantly like white private schools on the West side, getting like bussed in or driven in and, and the true like archetypes of black womanhood. My mom made it work like no matter what. Um, it didn't matter if we didn't have money or it was going to take an hour and a half to get there. Like she figured it out while simultaneously like taking care of four kids. And I did also feel very like nourished in a lot of different parts of my life at home where I think that it really informed like now the acceptance in which I like try and pander in some way. But um, both my parents and my grandparents were incredibly affirming in who I was growing up. Like I was always told that smart and that I was beautiful and that I was valuable there was not much I couldn't come to my mom with or my family members with. Like, I'm like, I want to dress like a punk today. Or, you know, there was no, I, there was no kind of like pretty much the worst thing I could come to them with is that I was like a Republican. <laughs> like, so kind of with that upbringing, like, again, very affirming. I did feel like very fed in these ways. You know, I never felt not taken care of. Um, but I still was struggling so deeply with, how I would be, how I, how I was valued and how I was seen in reference to like my body and my looks. I definitely felt um, an unapartedness to my peers and even kind of in my like immediate like community. Um, I think definitely being mixed provided some level of like, not oppression by any means, but isolation in figuring out where I sat in it. Right. And I think I like leaned into other behaviors, whether it was drinking or smoking weed or poetry or different outlets in different ways. But I think I also learned from a pretty young age, like how to command like space for myself and like whether it was in the front or whether it was like authentic, I still figured out that like I wanted to live and dress and be who I wanted to be. You know, I think you can, if you talk to like even some of my oldest friends, it wasn't like just because I was chubby, I was like sitting in the corner in a huge sweatshirt. Like I still wore the, I still wore the fits. I was still keying. I was still trying to kind of mitigate like my own value, even though I didn't feel it, but I never thought or understood or conceived that like modeling or fashion would be at all in my future in that, in the way that it has. Um, and so I kind of like applied to a bunch of schools on the East coast because I mean, as described, my kind of upbringing was like little fragmented. So I was like, I need to get away from this source of insanity. And so I thought maybe New York would be the answer to that. Um, when I got into the new school, I was like, I got into college, like amazing, but I also have a whole city that I can interact with. Not like I'm like hunkered down to this campus in the middle of nowhere. I didn't want to feel like restriction. So yeah, like in New York, I got pretty like tapped into like 
graffiti, <laughs> oh God, and like skating and some levels of fashion, but like also just like nightlife and just things like that. Um, and just connecting with like new people. I kind of went down a downward spiral and then I had ended up, um, leaving New York because I had to get sober because my like drinking and drug use like really accelerated. I'm pretty candid about getting sober as young as I was, I was 19. Because yeah, New York is also very enchanting and really dangerous in that way. I think it was like my first two years like alone. I didn't grow up in a strict household at all, but I just felt like, oh, like this is me. And I kind of went down a I was like overexcited, but I also had been struggling with like substance abuse for a long time leading up to that point. So it was also like a, a gift and that I bottomed out here and I was really able to reference like my role in it and like what it looked like and how unhappy I could be. So I went back to LA for a bit, but same kind of like mirrored, same kind of ecosystems, like skaters, artists, um so, so corny but it's true it was <laughs> t-shirts and stuff like that but I did know that I wanted to get back to New York and I felt like if I was gonna like drink or use or whatever like there was no way I was gonna get back to New York which was my 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 goal I knew the seed that was planted so early on like by my mom or my grandparents and that like I was meant to do something, you know, and I didn't know what it was, but I knew that it couldn't just end there. But yeah, so I ended up getting back to New York. I was like back in school, I was studying psychology and literature. And between that time, it's like Instagram had it had become huge. Yeah. yeah, but in but in a weirdly, I mean, it's inaccurate to call it organic because it obviously was like. <laughs> forced on us but at the time it definitely felt organic it was like oh this is this new app where I'm just gonna kind of show what I'm into or what I'm doing you know it didn't feel intention it didn't feel like a business move it literally felt like okay cool like here's this random building here's an outfit here's my friend like it definitely felt intimate in this weird way and I think for me at the time it was kind of organic and like authentic in what I was sharing, but it was kind of getting more attention than I kind of understood. Um, I was always pretty comfortable in a public space, like always kind of performing or I would always be the like subject of like my friends, like high school photography projects or like something like that. Like I always seemed so I would still have like a certain level of like comfort. I don't know why that was. So it did feel like natural, but I didn't really understand when people wanted to kind of ask to shoot me. And like kind of at the beginning, the point was really just to like make a little money because I just couldn't. Right. Yeah. Like I just couldn't even theorize in my head that this could be like a real job for me. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I uh, knew about plus size modeling, you know. I can't, you know, there's like a, a model named Crystal Wren or Sophie Dahl, but there was, there's, there was this like very commanding sexiness that I couldn't identify with. They were also all white besides Takara, right. of course, but Takara, again, I saw as this like incredibly like sexy, like, you know, confident woman that I like was maybe inherently confident, but I didn't really have identification, you know? I also think that a lot of 
that timing even still, but especially there, there was a lot of like prescriptions for being a plus size, plus size model, you know, that we don't know now that if, if Takara was kind of vied to be the sexy curve plus size black model of the generation that she was, or if she really felt like she wanted to be or not, like, we don't know that, you know? Right. Um, so, but I definitely think my observation at the time, like as a younger person, I was just like, well, that's amazing, but that's not for me. (laughs) Oh my God. So between that time, I was just confused, man. Like I really didn't know. I'm not to say that anyone at 21 is supposed to know that, but I was, we all were like that 21 year old confusion of like, what the fuck am I doing? Um, was really surmounting in my mind and I didn't know what to do with it. And it's interesting that like, right at that like point of kind of desperation and like, this isn't manageable, like going to school, like accruing more debt and not knowing, like even in, in the pursuit of like, okay, if I get this degree and then I have to get a master's and then like, I would have to get a PhD. Right. And like, how am I going to afford this? I've taken out like so many loans, like grants like all this stuff. I was like freaked the fuck out, you know? And, um, and then I met a woman named Stevie Dance, who is a fashion editor. Um, or she, at the time she was a fashion editor of pop and she was talking to me and she's like, I want you, you can write for pop. You can do whatever you want. I also want to like shoot you in a couture story. I was like, what the hell is this woman talking about? Literally couture. Like I was like, you know, it was a really, it was a really interesting time, but I definitely think that it was a token of information and that like people can believe in you like before you believe in yourself. And that like that oftentimes is what kind of can like catapult you into just like a new domain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so initially she's like, okay, I want to introduce you to all these agencies. And I didn't really understand how that worked. I thought that, I thought that, yeah, no one briefed me. I also thought that like, as a model, you you had, you worked for the agency. Mm. And then also that I didn't know even actually, even the state of the industry, like Stevie had kind of outlined that like things were different and they were changing, but I kind of maybe anticipated they were they just met just want me just for me and the timing and everyone said no which was like that they weren't I mean I rolled up like in like a dirty hoodie and dickies and like which isn't that crazy now but I think that what the plus size like economy and like industry was expecting was still a very prescriptively sexy kind of like glamazon like flat stomach like bigger hips, big butt, skinny arms, snatched face, like tall, like all the things. And I roll up, I'm like five, six and a half, barely. I do not have a flat stomach. I mean, I definitely occupy a huge margin of privilege in that like my my fat sits accordingly and why it's like not entirely representative of the clothes in which we're trying to sell. <laughs> but it was kind of crazy to think that like my entry into the plus size industry, let alone fashion industry was like seemingly radical for the time. 
And then I was like working at Miss Lily's and then I quit in the middle of my shift. I like worked at all the restaurants. You're and like I- in the middle of a dance hall track and you just make your way out. No, <laughs> literally like they were like, this is your last shift to really show that you want to be here. And I said, I don't, <laughs> like, which was like scary when I walked out. But, you know, I was doing like little shoots again, like here and there. But again, it didn't feel that it was without effort, but it was without focus. And I didn't really see where it could go while still like doing my Instagram thing. Like I was like, oh, I got paid to do an Instagram. Like this was then when that started cropping, like coming up. So my friend who's a musician who goes by the name Earl Sweatshirt, who like I grew up with since we were kids, was like, I'm going on tour. I need like your energy to finish this tour. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Like, and I went on a tour bus with my friends um, for two months <laughs> and was like, let's see what happens here. Like, maybe I could do A&R. Like, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do music journalism. Like, maybe. And I had dropped out of school at this point. Because so I was like, this is like not manageable. I'm kind of like losing my mind. And it's like, I guess I can go. I can always go back, right? Um, and then I remember... Being at, I think it was, is it Made in America? I think it's Made in America, a festival in Philly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got an email from like a casting person who was working on Pat McGrath's like now eponymous makeup line. And it was like very hush hush. Like I had to sign an NDA and all this stuff. But to be completely honest with you, it's like I knew who Pat McGrath was, but I knew more of the references. Like I knew like, a Jessica Stam ID cover, but you know, and I knew that she was black, and so I knew that, like, or I felt more emboldened to like say yes, but I didn't really know what I was getting into at that time. And they were like, "We're gonna book you a train from Philly to come shoot this over the weekend," and I was like, again, in the air of spontaneity, I was like, "Fuck it, like this might be like the thing that I have to do to." To, to do it, you know, like this might change everything or it might do nothing. Like, let me just try it. And did it uh, change everything? And it changed everything. And it changed fucking everything, you know, and was still, um, is one of the most like important shoots of my life because I remember her telling me like, not like, Oh, you're here because you're, you know, plus size or because you're cool or whatever. It was literally like, she was like, you have a perfect face for makeup. And that was remarkable because I just didn't feel like I had to like posture in that moment. Like I really did feel wholly valued um, <laughs> for for who I was and who I had to offer without it having to be this like prophetic gesture of like, oh, like we're using this plus size girl, you know. Um, and so that that kind of like catapulted everything and. Pat definitely like nursed me and her team really nursed me through like my initial interactions with the industry. And I went back to all these agencies and I was like, who's going to work for me now? (laughs) Damn. Yeah. But it definitely felt like it was, it, it was a newly informed time, you know, for me. No, it's so special. And I've heard you like talk about this journey, like in a few different, you know, iterations and just trying to like get the full picture of you because you are quite dynamic and complex, but just, yeah, that journey, like, it's so crazy to me that that was your first shoot and how, 
especially with, you know, platforms like Instagram and all these other things, how you have been able to kind of amplify yourself on your own terms. And how has also the internet, Instagram, whatever also enabled and very much like shaped your career? Yeah. Instagram provided like a space on my own, you know? And of course it's like not because it's like owned by fucking demons, but like, you know, (laughs) did in some way, allow me to still have autonomy where it's like cool like you you might see me on the website for this like tragic plus size brand and like a muumuu but like this is actually how I dress or like this is actually how I think or like that I don't exclusively like want to just like post pictures of myself like it might be like I don't know like a weird railing or a car or whatever it is it's like getting more insight into my brain and um as much as like very two-dimensional version can purvey yeah um, and that was also very help- helpful. Like I didn't realize that I was also doing it to to be able to survive the industry because I just felt also very quickly depleted. And so I was like, as long as I can make efforts to like kind of interlay like what I actually give a fuck about into this, like I knew that there was no way that I was going to, if I didn't, I was going to survive it. And I think that it also, yeah, just like offered um, the opportunity for like clients, people, observers to just kind of get a better not entire scope of who I was but a better and I think that was very powerful in my like career my yeah like my genesis into this thing because I think now people like you know like you're more than a model or something (laughs) I mean Uh, you certainly are I can attest to that and it's like that's what I'm saying though it's like you are so authentically you in all that you do and I think like being so hyper aware that you have this huge platform now and like what you're saying, what you're talking about, like people are tuned in, they are listening. And so like, I think that also can like hold a really high responsibility. And like, you know, people go back and forth about like, should, you know, musicians, celebrities, models who, you know, X, Y, Z be talking about political things. I think like you're someone who navigates that really beautifully. And like you, you can have one side of yourself that's like the business and doing the modeling, whatever, but it's also like you are you and you have your community. So it's like, of course, you're going to be, you're going to be talking about the things that matter to you. Right. So I think like blending that with your, I don't even know if I'd call it an online persona, maybe for people who don't know you, you know what I'm saying? Like people think like Facebook, Instagram, one that I'm really serious. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. Like I I was like, doing, I was like doing a show season, um, in Europe and there was like a new model. And she was like, I was always really like, I thought that you were like really serious, like intimidating and like, but of, and of course it like, you know, scratching it. Oh, it's cause I'm big. It's cause I'm like, it's why you think, you know? And she's like, no, <laughs> um, she was black as well, but like, she was like, no, I just think that the way that like, you try and command certain things or whatever. But I also think it's important again, like Instagram is like demonic. Like it's really it's such a beautiful tool in in spreading and in getting information. Like right. it's like a way that you can like champion like yourself, like for human beings to be able to have like autonomy over how they want to be presented is is a very powerful tool. Like which is why I think Instagram remains this like pillar of like our beings. You know, Um, is it exclusively all of me? Absolutely not. But I definitely feel like 
if anything, I, I, I like when people meet me and they're like, oh my God, you're like very goofy. And also like, I have like, my voice sounds like Louis Armstrong. <laughs> Wait, I got that from a meme. I got that from a meme. It's like, I, I, Louis Armstrong, I fuck with you. Like girls with deep voices, but things like that. But I, but I also don't think I kind of like that people are like, oh, like you're a lot less like serious and because I don't have to also reveal all of myself all the time on Instagram. Like none of us do. Like that's not truly what it's designed for. Like I don't feel responsible. I mean, I, I feel sometimes responsible, but do I, do I engage and do I act on the responsibility of feeling like I have to hemorrhage my identity and my hardship and my day? And like, here's me getting a smoothie, like all the time. Like I don't feel responsible to, to, to living up to that. Like today, have I navigated or like struggled with that about how to mitigate like pr- people's perceived or prescribed? Of course, like we, every day I still am trying to understand it, but Instagram, it's a platform. Yeah. Um, can I show about things that matter to me? Can, can, can imagery act as activism in these moments where it's like so deeply and like still like remains as like the true, like, nuggets of all of this and that like people feel affirmed by my existence is so profound like what a gift to be given that like we're as human beings we're like all in pursuit of purpose and connection and community and like Instagram is also I I do feel like like privileged enough to say that I, I value that in my real interpersonal relationships and in my real life but that there's people in my dms being like your outfit inspired me or whatever but I also know what it was like growing up being like what the fuck do I wear like not no not having any reference like what a gift to be a reference to someone you know and then to have this fucking insane app that allows there to be this like exchange of, of words and that like somebody can privately share how deeply that that image affected them or some people have said changed their lives like what a fucking honor like I can't like say it enough it's like to even be that to one person is so profound like and I don't again think that like Instagram is wholly responsible for it but it's acted as such an important platform in in kind of accessing people and community and strangely enough safety not in totality by any means because it's also super harmful and super isolating but I also can't not say that like it's provided comforts and that like I know you know besides like the verbal affirmation from like my immediate community or my family that like when I'm on like a shitty day of work one I can advocate for my needs but I also can persevere because I know that somebody will get something out of this and that's very powerful for me. But yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's complicado. <laughs> I'm going to talk about something that I think you did pretty recently. I mean, I don't know about time anymore, but I <laughs> presume to be pretty recently is you did the, the Fenty Savage show. Yeah. So yeah. Talk me. That's iconic. First of all, clap, clap, clap. That is incredible. Yeah. I would like to hear about that experience because this is a brand that we all love and we love Rihanna and we love to see you working with Rihanna. <laughs> um, I, yes, we, I love Re. Like it's not a joke. Yeah. It, it's the Navy over here. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's also 
kind of like relationships like that. Like I just don't even view Fenty Corp as a client, you know, because also what Rhi has been able to do is like, she's really architected this like beautiful group of people, like, and like lifted people up. Like so much of her predominant team are people that have like assisted her in the past or been on her team for a long time. And that's like really beautiful. And it has a really like offer like a blueprint into how to like kind of grow. I mean, also it's very hard to say this kind of under the deluge of like capitalism and everything, but like a holistic business. Right. You know? Um, and again, I say that with great trepidation, but like the people in her immediate workforce and community, like they are diverse, like body, size, background, like, and it's reflected in her work. I have done a lot of like Fenty Beauty. I did the first Fenty Beauty that they ever shot. And I've, I feel like lucky to, you know, I've done every Fenty Savage show or Savage X show that they've done, which this would be the third. And each season, it's not even like, oh, each season is bigger and better or different. It's actually like the same, like in the emotion of it. And that like, there may be, you know, now it was at the convention center and it, of course it's like getting bigger, but it's always centered in the same idea. Like it is so, like, I, I just can't not think about like the stark difference in my experience, like being backstage at like different fashion weeks and being very, like there is something very disturbing, which we like can all kind of pinpoint. I mean, in that there's something very strange in that, like, I am a pariah, you know, like in reference to like high fashion and to feel the difference of like being backstage at a Fenty Savage show and to see like ripples in a thigh and like different hair textures and like different skin tones and like scars and like all of these things. Like there's like not like this is a, it's monumental because it does get to speak to so many different people in something that has like really never done been done before. And also being able to be involved in it, you know, like right. Julie Wheeler is Bree's main stylist, but also styled the whole show. And he was like, how do you feel? Like, okay, you're going to need some more diamonds. You're going to need a flat. You know, there was like, no, it was, <laughs> it's a new kind of shift, you know? Yeah, no, I feel like, okay. So I, I can almost guarantee that you've probably navigated like several, several microaggressions, problematic shit happening, happening on set like this and that. And so like, I'm curious too, as to like how you educate problematic folks within the fashion industry, like at large and like, what is the route you take to get through? Do you, you know, are you coming head on? Are you stepping away? Like, I don't, I want to save my energy. Like what is your kind of process in, in handling something that I'm sure comes up often? Yeah. I mean, I didn't start modeling when I was 16. I started when I was 22 and I'm ever changing and constantly falling and and incredibly imperfect and flawed. Um, But I did also have like a command for what I wanted, I think, and and how and what I wanted to see. And so when I am in conversation with where there's something that I don't feel comfortable with, I actually do feel a a lot more equipped in fashion maybe not so much in all of my relationships, which I'm still working on. (laughs) 
but <laughs> definitely in like work to show up not only for my knees but for my for like fellow people on set you know I'm just really not like playing with that I'm just not you know and again it's not me like pinging up my bag and storming off set but it's being like I don't feel comfortable with that or like for instance in reference to kind of like fatness um there'll be like looks and I'll see like my straight size counterparts getting like five looks and I'll be getting two and I'll just ask why and one if it's like they just hand me a stretchy dress I go well that's not it like I'll show you what could work if there's a tailor here like let's do it because at the end of the day like the person who's watching who's looking to feel seen needs it too she don't want a stretchy dress no more so I'll challenge a stylist to be like no she needs main fashion she needs a main fashion credit she needs four looks and I'm not afraid to do that because it's also the point of why I'm there but I try and quickly assess like what feels safe in the way that's like also protective of like mine and other people who I care about and like to be honest there's also days when I have to disarm the responsibility like some days I go into work and I'm like I don't feel like doing the honk honkery and I don't feel like being a savior and I just want to do my job and go home you know and it's sometimes just like bookmark that person is harmful when I do feel like I have more energy I have the opportunity to say so I remember I was on a job once and the videographer was a proud boy and nobody knew and this is before we we were up on game about I was up on game because I knew that the fucking uniform was that black shirt with the white with the with the yellow periella so not if anybody knows classic proud boy uniform attire is a Perry Ellis shirt with the yellow lining and like logo. And I had, this was like two years ago. I had worked with him before. I had worked with him before and I walk in and he's just like fitting all of the stereotypes. He's like a fucking like sprightly white man giving Williamsburg and wearing the Perry Ellis shirt with the fucking yellow collar. And so I said to the producer, just so you know, like, I have a hinting suspicion that this person is a part of an alt-right white nationalist group. And then, of course, she's like, well, you know, he's so nice. I was like, so? So was Ted Bundy. Like, I don't understand, <laughs> like, what this kind of, like, nicety stuff. And so before I had to shoot with him, I looked up his LinkedIn and I saw that he used to work where? Vice. Oh, my God. I'm not shooting with an alt-right white supremacist. And that's just that. At the end of the day, I don't know what happened the rest of the day. That's not a microaggression also. But that's just, like, straight violence. That's just straight crazy. But when I followed up with the publication, they're like, we no longer work with him. You know? And sometimes, like, that is powerful. But it's kind of about sometimes it's like... What is the bandwidth for all of us, you know? Oh, my God. I can't imagine. I have, like, chills from that story. I know. <laughs> I would so, yeah, there's just different ways I like to. But I also think that, like, Instagram acts as a tool. Is that it sets the tone and the energy of, like, how people are willing to interact with me. I would be so terrified for the person who chooses to step to you. <laughs> oh, my God. It's... I don't know. I mean, it's very Aries energy and I have like a, I mean, I've also in the last like year have really 
attempted and making like kind of great efforts to just decenter myself from from the process like that I am like a student I think that there's so much that I still have to learn I'm very much so a student and I'm not responsible to be the teacher at all times and I think that like what's emerged in the movement for black lives and is it is to give space to those who who are deservedly knowledgeable on subjects you know because again like I don't occupy all every prescription of blackness or fatness or you know it's also very strange um kind of like accelerating from like poverty into wealth of some of of some kind within five years has been extremely difficult I mean that sounds again very like oh my god it's so difficult making money but without like a a language or a knowledge and how to navigate like finances and all these things um and how to be comfortable in financial growth is not something at least I can say in community in, in my house or in the community that I grew up in something that's innate so I, I still think in my head that I'm broke and I'm not like you know and like that's that's something I that mentality yeah <laughs> you know and like who knows it might be I may be broke in the future like I know how to be broke I've been broke my whole life <laughs> knowing how to be broke in new york that listen we've all done it the two bros vanessa's dumpling switch it off every other night i literally i mean sienna i have a fucking screenshot like i told you this in the park but i have a screenshot on my phone from five years ago a dollar and 82 cents you know and i'm in a process of trying to like procure property for myself like something that i never thought in my life that would happen and it's it's pretty remarkable. Wait, let's talk about this for a second. I'm so excited about this. I can't believe you are purchasing a space like land, like getting a building, a space in Brooklyn. Like that is huge. Cause almost everyone I know in New York is also a renter. And so just like that difference between ownership and autonomy and not having to answer to someone who's just trying to collect on a crazy level is huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could speak more to it because I'm like still very much so in the process and I'm like, absolutely so much each day, but um, it is definitely like a benchmark of how much things can change for, for all of us and still trying to remain in line with like what I want out of this process which is still to like cultivate like safety and yeah, predominantly safety for like, yeah, like myself, of course, but like for the people around me, you know, it's like there'll be a garden apartment that like my mom can live in, a friend can live in like places. It's like, because what's also just so uh, emerges that like we are in desperate need of being taken care of both emotionally and physically. And as I continue to, try and learn and show up for how to emotionally be there for like everyone in my life as much as I can. Like the least I could do would be to provide physical safety in these kinds of ways. And again, not just for my friend, but also for myself, you know, and it feels like super full circle. Cause again, I grew up 
in a duplex that my grandparents bought. That's the house that I grew up in with my grandparents downstairs, us upstairs, you know, and, and I, and I want to continue that kind of like legacy and that like, sometimes like there would be an uncle or a cousin or somebody living downstairs that there was always like a plate. Like, I don't know what position we would be in if my grandfather didn't pull all his money together and buy that duplex and, I don't know what year it was, you know, like, I don't know where my mom would live right now. I don't know where my childhood memories would have been fostered. Like, I don't know, like, how I would have seen, you know, and I feel really grateful and I want to continue that. And out of like all of this kind of demonic chaos of fashion, (laughs) but also there's beauty, you know, I get, I get to provide safety and comfort to those that I love and I'm learning how to provide that for myself. Yeah, I see that for you. It's it's manifesting. Like I, I truly believe like you can do anything you want at this. I mean, always, but like at this moment in time, it seems so clear. And I hope the confidence radiates throughout you in all that you do. And yeah, I'm curious. This is just like fun, fluffy question, but like, who would you like to work with? Who's someone you're like, I need to work with them. And you're manifesting a project something a collaboration that's a very good question not fluffy because i haven't really thought about it because actually there's so many people that i have been incredibly excited to work with and have um it sounds like kind of like superfluous and fluffy but i was like always dreamt of like walking for alexander mcqueen well obviously sarah burton who's a designer and i walked that show not this season but last season and that was such a huge huge like dream of mine but that's a good question I don't know I guess I'm still figuring that out because it's like yeah yeah I kind of think outside of like fashion and that's something that would be like a dream you know like I would like I don't know I guess I mean that's okay too because I'm I'm thinking too even outside of the the mod- the fashion industry. Like I also was gonna say, hold on a second. Were you in the movie Uncut Gems? <laughs> Are you an actor? <laughs> um, no, I was. I had a cameo moment, which was like also <laughs> very like I don't I don't know the directors super well. I kind of again like the streets, man. Like I get I I I, I owe New York City so much, you know, but. So much of it is just like, again, like the streets, I think I ran into one of the, the, the Safdie brothers. So I ran into one, I think Josh and he was like, so we've been thinking about you and we really need you in our movie. And I was like, I do not like acting that movies take way too long. I love like a good modeling day, 10 hours. You leave that shit in the studio and you're out. Like, I like that. <laughs> and he was like, no. And, um, one of like the first people that I ever met in New York was, which was Julia Fox who starred in the movie um, was in it. And it was just like super organic. And like Benny and Josh were like, come in, read the script. I was like, cool. Makes sense. I mean, it was such a small part, but it was super cool to like do, be in that experience and like do it with Julia, who I love. And like, I obviously trust Benny and Josh, like they're super, super talented. And I've like loved so many of their works and like their films. And so I was like, fuck it again. I'm, I'm very fuck it about things that I try and say fuck it about things that matter. Fuck it in ways that I try and not let my fear 
take command, but yes. not everything. <laughs> There's yes. a lot of things that I still want to do, but I think I'm like, just got to free my mind, free yourself, <laughs> free your mind and the rest will follow. Well, <laughs> um, don't be colorblind, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, just a few addendums on the side not miss this or this some of the lyrics novel, but yeah that's so special and it's crazy to me because it seems like you're someone who does not get starstruck having been around celebrities I think from an early age you are very you're like calm cool and collected I mean I think, you what I was gonna say you know from Earl's sweatshirt to just like working with Pat McGrath it's like working with Adam Sandler and whoever, Julia Fox, hanging out with Bella Hadid. Like, you're just like, bam, you are unfazed. I love this. Well, I also think I would also say that, like, L.A. has a lot to do with it. You know, L.A. is a pretty, like, specific kind of, like, visibility and proximity. It's not, like, regular suburban whiteness <laughs> I mean it's it's you know in some of the ideologies of course insidious but also like having proximity to it also like knowing some of like you know the kids of said celebrities and seeing how fractured like and imperfect and like kind of much less glossy it just kind of forces I don't know if you relate to that in LA as well just like definitely it's humanizing people it's like damn like I guess I don't know. You'd be going through shit too. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's specific to LA too. Yeah. Like there's something yeah. about that familial tie to a celebrity. Like I remember, like, of course I went to art school. I went to a public arts high school. Um, I went to Loxa. And like, so there was so much of that already. And then I just remember like I was in the theater department and my friend Brichet and I got the, like the lead role in something. And like her uncle is Stevie wonder. So he would just like come in and, and, and sit in on a rehearsal or like just be there. And I just remember being like, this is really surreal. Actually, like this is really special. This is like a musical icon, just casually somebody's uncle. Like, this is crazy. But then it's like, there's so much of that, that you're like, is this normal? Like, I don't even know. Like, this is, you might really, you also just might see a celebrity at like the supermarket or like getting your nails. And so you kind of like, yeah, it's not normal though. (laughs) But I do think it's been kind of a freeing and the kind of ability to just be like, what's up, you know, just try and come with similar energy Cause I also think there's so much like code switching that we have to do in just like everyday life and like trying to relieve myself of that kind of like duty has been like an immense effort and completely non-linear. But I also am like, just present myself as myself with whoever it is, you know? Um, but yeah, I think it's just about kind of humanizing the process and just being like people are flawed complex individuals too <laughs> yeah i mean oh truly okay um tell me a secret <sighs> um, <laughs> I <definitely> big sigh <laughs> big sigh um what's a secret i mean i have millions okay but i'm thinking like what's a secret i don't wake up early <laughs> <laughs> i don't know and i know that's something i think that like i think that like I'm just trying to just stop 
kind of I'm trying to indoctrinate myself like about like the busyness is that like I like to sleep the fuck in. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Why that rest is tell me a secret. Oh my God. Oh, I should have had one prepared. Okay. Um secret, secret. I don't know if this is a secret. Maybe you just don't know this, but as nerdy and weird as I was uh, at arts high school in East LA, I was prom queen. Wow, that is a great <laughs> secret. That is <laughs> like when you think of a prom queen, like I have an idea of who it is. Oh. It's like the hottest girl, the coolest girl, whatever. So it's actually I was about to say, give me something that you're not because when you just lift it off. Bro. I- <laughs> <laughs> I grew into who I am now in high school. I was a big nerd. And so against all odds, nerd came out on top. <laughs> That's one of my secrets. I never went to prom. What? I mean, you honestly didn't miss much. Yeah. You know, I was like a raver. But I did go to someone else's prom. And it's very fucking LA. So they went to the Wildwood prom. Oh my and, God. <laughs> yeah. So I went to the Wildwood prom after prom. And it and Dead Mouse was the DJ, and they rented out a club where there was alcohol served. It like wasn't regular; like it was like a club on Sunset where there was alcohol served. Oh my! Like, if you had an ID, which I definitely had, <laughs> you were like, "I'm 25." <laughs> like literally. And they're like, "This is a high school prom." Like no, a high school prom, a high school after prom, were Dead Mouse. And think about Dead Mouse in 2010. I can't. It's it's a lot, a lot. Other secrets are, yeah, I can't, I'll think of them later. Now you're thinking about it because people will respond to that in so many different ways, I think. So, yeah, Yeah. you know. Okay. What is the best and worst trend you've ever rocked? The best and worst trend that I've ever rocked. Okay. It's kind of weird because I feel like they're the best and the worst. Um, my, the best was when I was in like fifth grade and I was like super, I don't know if it was a like trendy, it wasn't really trendy, but it was like, I was really quote unquote like punk and I like loved to go to Hot Topic and I wore like those pants that have the like bondage, like things like well between them and like ripped tights and like that was insane. And then there was this very specific like seventh grade look that um it was these two do you remember cnc tank tops no oh my god they're like these like really expensive like thin tank tops with like a levi's mini skirt uggs and like a belt around it with like a very greasy party side bang and like black coal eyeliner under that and that was like pretty bad but like honestly pretty good with a juicy (laughs) shirt on it you also okay i watched a video of you with vogue what is it's like the one where it's like you're going in the closet going through your closet and you identified as or people call you a streetwear wasp which is so (laughs) funny that's hilarious oh my god yeah my friend nikki called the streetwear wasp well also like streetwear cringe but in general like I do like love a hoodie and but it's about balance it's like yeah I'm just like I think that that definitely like kind of is like today my outfit is I'm wearing like a 
a Carhartt, a baggy Carhartt pant with then this like polo like thing with like kind of, it's a lot of like menswear stuff, but it's like collegiate colors. And then I'm wearing like Celine rain boots. So it's like that, <laughs> that still makes sense that, yeah, I think it holds up. It still holds up. I love that. Last close it out question is what is your biggest critique for the fashion world and what is your biggest hope for it? I think my biggest critique is definitely like kind of like stop pretending like it can fix everything. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, it can't fix everything. I'm kind of like knowing what position it's in. And my biggest hope is that if we are in the business of representation that we are continually expanding that idea, you know, and that's, and, and continuing to deepen our value and awareness for it. Yeah. I mean, myself included, I'd be like, come trying to come like I'm a fucking scholar all the time or that like, it's going to fix everything that putting someone on a cover that suddenly like will alleviate the entire, you know, the, entire like mental and physical degradation of black people. And that's like not true. It's maybe like a a granule in the process, but I think that like slapping someone on the cover doesn't mean that it's it's a cure all. And I think that that's really important to remark. I think fashion, well, I mean, myself, I mean, it's just to take self too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer. I I agree. I mean, that's, that's what I was thinking. Like reading these questions back, I was like, yeah, like I would like to see it basically. (laughs) And like these small granules hopefully build up to like a bigger thing. Like you got the camera and it just zooms out and you see some shit and you're like, okay, every little granule of thing is working towards something bigger. And like, we're not going to stop just because it's small. Like we keep going. Keep going. I definitely also think that like one, everybody in all of the industries but specifically in mine because it's the only one I know at this point um I want people to heal I want people to be in pursuit of like healing so that we stop harming each other and stop valuing the essentially like the wrong shit and I have to work on that too but it's like I want there to be space and time I don't I hate that like busy shit constantly being affirmed I want people I want to heal (laughs) and I want I want to heal I want to continue healing I want others to heal so that we don't harm each other and also with that understanding that like healing is different for different people I don't I have no say in like how somebody should do it but I just I just know that I want to begin to dissolve the need for validation or affirmation that like allows us to all exist in scarcity and comparison and like it's just like just unsustainable right like it's not like it's just not sustainable it's not fair thanks for tuning in to the cultured magazine podcast points of view with our guest paloma elsesser We look forward to bringing you exciting interviews with artists and their visions for the future every month. Thank you to the podcast team for making this happen. To our editor, Randy Chapman, our sound engineer, Lars Probert, our theme music by Color Plus, and Cultured Magazine.